Hey, it's Alan Carter. Here is what's on the podcast today. Ontario dragging its feet again. A new mouthwash COVID test in British Columbia and a big day for Toronto's Jewish community. All of that coming up. Let's get to it. We are in a second wave. That is the breaking news from the Ottawa Medical Officer of Health, who says the second wave isn't imminent. It is here. It is crashing down upon us. And those numbers certainly bear that out. 401 new cases in the last 24 hours, 35,800 tests as it breaks down by public health unit, 130 of those cases are in Toronto, 82 in Peel, and 61 in Ottawa. 67% of the new cases are in people under the age of 40, and that is one of the things that, of course, is different this time around, the demographic being infected by the virus much younger. And as a result, that is probably why we are not seeing an uptick in hospitalizations. Those hospitalizations numbers, they remain stable. The ICUs, the ventilators, we have capacity within our healthcare system. The concern, of course, is as you look at those numbers, it's beginning to show that we have unchecked community transmission. Certainly, as the numbers creep up and continue to creep up this way, that's what it indicates. And then once you get unchecked community transmission, then you have the potential for the uh, the virus to head into vulnerable, much more vulnerable populations. And I think we all know what happened with that in the spring. So giddy up, here comes the weekend. Yeah. We need to fix their little red wagon when they, when they start doing stuff like this. Hey, oh, hey. I'll fix your little red wagon. Don't get crazy. Don't gather. Don't party. You look at those numbers. I don't know about you. You got uh, plans for Thanksgiving? Were you thinking maybe to get together with family? Maybe you made some plans late August when the numbers were good. And you're like, yeah, things are good. Yeah, we can all get together. Yeah. And now you look at the numbers and you think, um, be maybe responsible. Not. Don't, don't be, be a res- scammer. But be responsible. Doug, we'll get to you in just a moment. Because don't make us get out the toolbox and have to fix you up. We, we need to fix their little red wagon when they when they start doing stuff like this. If you're getting together, we'll come over and we're going to fix your little red wagon. Doug Ford again yesterday. Just an absolute clip machine. You know, who said it best? Dofo or Abe Simpson? I'll fix your wagon. I'll fix your wagon. All of it can be very entertaining for us juvenile talk show radio hosts. But you know what all of these clever sound bites don't do? They don't stop the virus. The pithy remarks, the populist slogans, it doesn't increase testing. And sure, you can be amused by this. They must be a few fries short of a Happy Meal, these people. <laughs> what? What? Had a lot of reaction to that yesterday. Give your head a shake. Doug Ford, few fries short of a Happy Meal. He's bringing out all the dadisms, all the Grandpa Simpsons he can he can wheel out that he can bring to bear. Cute, sure. Populist? 
Absolutely. But right about now, I would trade all of the Doug Ford sound bites that I have. And if you listen to this radio program, you know that I use them on the regular. I Forget would trade I would trade all of them. Give me a selection of the best ones here, Rob. Breaks my heart. Thank you. I'm on to him like an 800-pound gorilla, and he's only a little guy. He's and I'll bring just a couple a of peaches guy. for that great, great question. I got a whole basket of them here. Oh, just play the hits. It's the I do top it from scratch. forty. <laughs> I do it from scratch. You can keep your cheesecake. I will trade all of it for a government that is ahead of the curve. Guys, let's be positive. Not reactive. Not always one step behind. One step behind on long-term care. One step behind on schools, on rollbacks, on testing. Yesterday, the Premier promised the private sector cavalry was right over the hill. Here they come. Here comes the private sector to help us out with these long lines for testing. Yeah. But that's great, public sector. But how about the government goes over the hill and meets them there? Why do we have to wait over here for the private sector cavalry to come to us? When we talk about the testing and you see the lineups, we're going to talk in our next segment more about the lineups for testing, all the people trying to go in and get tested. You know, even yesterday, Doug Ford was asked, you know, would you say to people, you know, if you're asymptomatic, maybe hold off? You know, if you're thinking of getting together for a birthday party and you want to say, hey, everybody go get tested because we're having a birthday party, and say, don't do that. Don't go, you know, you know, let's hold off until we get, you know, the, uh, the pharmacies and the private sector to come and help with asymptomatic testing and take the pressure off the labs, which are clearly overwhelmed right now. Nope. Nope. Not going to say that. Not going to do it. So why are we not going further? Ask yourself this. Ask yourself, why can we not learn from British Columbia here? Remember? Remember back in the beginning when workers were going from home to home in long-term care and British Columbia stepped in and said, absolutely not, this doesn't happen anymore. You can only work in one home. That's the only place. You just you can't go from place to place. And Ontario stood by and went, well, that's interesting. Look at that. And did nothing. Ontario dragged its feet. And then last week, British Columbia closed banquet halls and nightclubs. And when asked about it, the Premier said, well, that's interesting. Boy, that's that's something. We're not going to do that. Nope. No need to do that here. Meanwhile, John Tory, the mayor of the city, says he wants Ford to go further. You know, asking the question, you know, why are weddings in backyards restricted now with these new numbers that have come into effect overnight, but not banquet halls. Here's the mayor of Toronto saying, you know, he wishes that the province would step in with things like banquet halls. I wish that some of those things had been included, and they weren't. Uh, So we're looking. As most people know, uh, the city itself is limited, notwithstanding that there are some debates about this. The city is limited in terms of what it can do by way of orders and regulations and the like, uh, but we're taking a look at what we can do because uh, yet again, even this morning, there was another example given of a wedding, for example, where multiple cases arose out of that wedding, and it wasn't even a very big wedding. 
That is John Tory just this morning talking about how a wedding event was another spreader of COVID-19, not even a big wedding. And you heard him talk about, you know, there's some debate over whether or not the city actually has the authority to do it. Because when asked about what British Columbia had done, the premier said, it's up to the mayors. Go ahead. You're the mayor. Make the decision. Go ahead. Do it. And the mayor of Toronto says, I don't think it works that way. Hey, by the way, what is the difference between a wedding in your backyard, where now you can only have 10 people, or one in a banquet hall, where the previous numbers of 50 still apply for indoor? Well, here's the response from the ministry in charge of this kind of thing. Quote, it's the Ministry of Health, by the way. Quote, hiring an event planner, catering company, security or event support staff does not make a private gathering at a residence or backyard monitored. This would be to the to our question of like, okay, so I'm going to have a wedding in my backyard, but I got a wedding planner. That means that it's, it's, it's sanctioned, right? I can still have my 48 people. Nope. Because that is unmonitored versus monitored is dependent on the venue. This back to the statement from the ministry. If a place of business, if it is a place of business, it's monitored. If it's in a person's home or backyard, it is unmonitored. You can't monitor yourself. I'm sorry. I'm, you're not just, you're just not responsible. And as for those tough fines that the government announced yesterday, here's more tough talk from Doug Ford. We will throw the book at you if you break the rules. Yeah, I'm going to fix your little red wagon. That's what I'm going to do. We, we need to fix their little red wagon when they I'll, when they start doing stuff like this. You, I'm getting my Allen key, and I'm coming right in here. That red wagon of yours, is it'll, it'll be fixed in no time. I, I think it's a good plan. Hey, remember when Doug Ford complained that police were not fining people for breaking quarantine as we talk about these fines? Remember that? Remember, now that last clip I just paid for, played for you. I'm gonna th- we're gonna throw the book at you if you break. We the will rules. throw the book yeah. at you if you break the rules. Uh huh. Uh huh. I, I and, think it's a good plan. Okay, and then remember, remember last week when Doug Ford was like, you know, the police are not they're not handing out fines for people who break quarantine. They should be doing that. So we asked Doug Ford yesterday, so wait a second, are you telling the police to go in there and hand out fines to people? Is that what you're doing? We never direct the, the police. I never will. Uh, that's not our, our place to direct the police. Nope. Never. Won't do it, except for I just did it. They must be a few fries short of a Happy Meal, these people. Yeah, if you think we don't notice the hypocrisy of it, I got all my fries right here. All my fries are right here in the bag. You know, all of this populist, you know, quotable comments from Doug Ford, they're entertaining, but it's not getting the job done. It's not getting the job done on testing. It's not getting the job done on rolling back the openings that clearly more and more medical experts are calling for, and yet the government one step behind. I think it's the government's wagon that's broken. Maybe we need to get in there and fix Doug Ford's little red wagon. Welcome back to the program. As we continue to continue to see the concerning rise in coronavirus cases, there is increasing demand 
on the laboratories here in this province to process tests. And as more and more people are concerned about their children as they go back to school, they're concerned about themselves as they go back to work, they are lining up in droves at testing centers. And this morning, Kiavish Navji, pardon me, I messed up his last name, I will try that again, Najafi, Kiavish Najafi, was speaking with Greg Brady on the morning show this morning. uh, This young man has a toddler who has a fever, and so he went early this morning to get in line to line up at the Ottawa Testing Center. They open here at 8.30 a.m. When I got here, I thought I was number 29, but actually later on a nurse told me that I'm number 44 in the lineup. There, there's a few uh, folks here like me who are like holding a spot for one or two kids in their family. So like when I did the head count, it, it seemed to be lower, but then you know somebody is holding a spot for two people or for two, three kids. So it adds up. That is Kayavash Najafi who is in line for much of the morning with his toddler. The last update is that his toddler has now been tested. Meanwhile, in British Columbia, BC has introduced a new saline gargle test for students from kindergarten to grade 12 to help make COVID-19 testing easier for kids and for teenagers. This is the kind of thing that would take a lot of pressure off of testing centers. Here is the provincial health officer in British Columbia, Dr. Bonnie Henry, talking about how BC is one of the first places in the world to use a mouth rinse gargle test. So to start with, uh, we've we focused on children because we know right now it's going to be very critical for children if they start showing symptoms of COVID-19 and they're in school, a school setting, um, many of them will need to get tested. So it's a way to try and facilitate that and make that easier right now. And yes, it can be done. It needs to be done at an assessment centre, but it's done by the parent or the child themselves rather than a healthcare worker. That is Dr. Bonnie Henry in British Columbia. A lot of people in Ontario will be asking, why don't we have something like that here? To talk more about the science behind it all, I am joined by Dr. Matthew Outen, who is an infectious disease specialist at the Jewish General Hospital. Welcome to the program, doctor. Thank you for having me on, Alan. When we talk about a saline gargle test, what does the science tell us about how efficient, how effective that is? I think uh, the first thing uh, to point out is something that you already mentioned, which is the major advantage of testing in that way is that you do not need a uh, healthcare worker dressed in the full uh, personal protective equipment armed with a swab uh, in order to get the sample, which is right now the uh, primary way we're doing this test. Instead, you uh, give some saline to the children to swish and uh, then uh, spit out into a uh, collecting uh, material, and that makes it a much logistically simpler test to collect. On the other hand, though, this isn't exactly a different test because everything that happens after that point in terms of uh, where the test has to go to, uh, the kinds of uh, uh, materials and the kinds of equipment that we use to run the test are all identical to the uh, current way we're doing the test. In other words, it makes it easier to collect the sample, but not necessarily to process the sample because it's, it's still going to be processed by the same sort of uh, uh, um, conveyor belt, if you want to look at it that way, uh, that we're currently using. 
Uh, doctor, uh, earlier this morning, in the, just in the last little while, the Medical Officer of Health for Ottawa has declared that Ottawa is actually in a second wave. Uh, do you agree with that assessment, and what does that mean? It's a very good question. Everyone uses that uh, term, and I think, you know, uh, strictly speaking, you only really know if uh, you're in a wave in retrospect, because all you can say at the moment is that cases have been uh, continuing to increase for a certain length of time. I mean, here in Montreal, for example, we've certainly had a small but continued steady increase of cases over with the last four weeks. There are other indicators you can do to give you a uh, rough idea as to how much spread there is in the community. You know, one thing that came out yesterday, which caused me some concern, was an announcement from the Public Health Officer of Ontario that... Uh, uh, roughly half of all new cases, they can't find any epidemiologic link to, which means, you know, obviously these people got it from somewhere, but it means we don't know where they got it from, which means that it's in the community, but also means for those cases that you don't know about, those are cases that represent the potential for ongoing spread and transmission because no one knows that they, uh, where these people are, no one knows that these people are isolated and so forth. You know, we heard so much in the spring about test and trace, and, you know, we have pretty good information, you know, transparent information about test numbers, but I'm not certain that we have the same kind of idea about whether or not we have the kind of resources behind trace that we need. What's your perspective? Oh, that's, a, that's a good question. So uh, in order to be effective at controlling this disease in the community, you have to have testing and contact tracing working very closely together. Speed is really of the essence. Viral pandemics, when they're in a population uh, that is largely susceptible to that virus, they, they expand and they expand exponentially. So when you start to see an early rise, the reason to be concerned and why so many uh, uh, physicians and public health officials currently are concerned across Canada is exactly that, that a small increase now represents the potential for a much larger number of cases because of that exponential uh, fashion. So the way to get on top of it is to be fast, but to be fast means you have to test quickly and you have to contact uh, trace and, there, and then take effective measures like isolate also quickly because quite bluntly, if you test and uh, as was happening in the United States, for example, people were getting the test results back from some centers over seven days after they had the test done. And that's a little bit like trying to fly an airplane where all the information you're, you're getting is where your airplane was 500 miles ago. And it's not going to help you deal with your current situation. There's a lot of criticism in Ontario, especially right now, about the capacity of the testing centers uh, and the response from the government about, you know, here are the numbers are going up and we don't have the testing in place. Is that a fair criticism to say that we should be far beyond where we are in testing capacity right now because we have been predicting a second wave for so long? Uh, that's a, it's, a, it's a complicated uh, question to answer. You have to keep in mind that the same uh, discussion and the same is issues are actually happening uh, across the world right now. And one of the challenges since uh, COVID-19 really came on the radar screen is that of competition between different countries for the same resources. Because in order to do the testing, you have to have the same 
lab platforms, like the expensive equipment that uh, uh, laboratories use to process these tests, and there's not an infinite supply of those. They're only made uh, by a few companies in a few places, and we certainly have seen times when there's been uh, competition where other countries have tried to uh, sort of garner uh, a supply, but that comes at the expense of availability for other people who, in other places that need the same, uh, the, the same equipment. Same thing goes with all of the chemicals, all the reagents that we need to process these tests, even the simple things like the nasal swabs. Uh, we had a major problem with the first wave because one of the major countries to produce those swabs is Italy. And as you will recall, Italy had a major problem with COVID-19. So, of course, not only could they no longer manufacture the same numbers because of the burden of disease, but also any uh, swabs that they currently had stockpiled were going to go to their own national interest rather than be sent out of the country. So it's telling us, uh, and this is something that I think our federal government needs to take very seriously, is that there are certain uh, pieces of equipment and reagents that we have to have supply reliable supply chains for and this largely has to be done domestically because in the setting of a real pandemic like this one you can't rely on the just-in-time international supply chain because it will always fall apart. Dr. Matthew Otten is an infectious disease specialist at the Jewish General Hospital in Montreal. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us today. My distinct pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Well, we have more breaking news because there's just not enough going on right now. The Prime Minister has announced that voters in the Toronto ridings of York Centre and Toronto Centre will vote in federal by-elections Monday, October the 26th. This comes after the federal Liberals proclaimed who the nominees, who the candidates for the Liberal Party will be, including Marcy Ian a former broadcaster who is now uh, on a leave of absence from CTV, who will run for the Liberals in Toronto Centre. Both of those ridings are safe Liberal seats. And the theory is that the Prime Minister is calling those right away. He didn't have to call them right now, but he's calling those right away because he wants those filled. He wants those votes in the House. October 26th is when voters in those two ridings will go to the polls. Now, as we see the gathering limits reduced in Ontario, in Peel, in Toronto, and in Ottawa, that is going to have a real impact on families right across this province who were planning to get together, get together this weekend, and especially the Jewish community, Rosh Hashanah, beginning Tonight, of course, Rosh Hashanah marks the beginning of the Jewish New Year, and it's filled with shared meals and prayer amongst loved ones, and it also begins the Jewish High Holy Days leading up to Yom Kippur. So if you were planning a get-together, do you have to change now? Naomi Parnas is a former journalist, former TV journalist, and now co-founder of KPW Communications, joins me on the line. Hey, Naomi. Hi, Alan. How are you? I'm good. Before we we turn our minds to Rosh Hashanah, can we just talk Marcy Ian for just one moment? Yes, yes I love Marcy. You like Marcy? Uh, okay. What do you think about former journalists going into politics, Mike Duffy? I just raised that. What do you, What's your thoughts on that? You know, I think. Um, how can we? You know, how can we even discuss it when we have someone who is a former reality star who's now the president of the United States? Like I. I think we're just in a really, you know, we're in a really weird time. But I think journalists 
specifically, because um, I know myself, I had I had thought sometimes that I might go into politics. We love politics. We love giving back. We love helping people. I think part of why we do what we do is to tell people stories and to to help people. And so I think that um, I think it's actually a natural thing for a lot of journalists to want to do that. Um, you know, it's hard for some people on the outside because they're like, well, they've never been in politics before. But you know, for me, as a journalist, I was at City Hall. I was a City Hall reporter um, covering politics, and I really enjoyed what I was doing, and I learned a lot while I was there. So I think there's just, it's, it's almost natural that, that a lot of us veer towards that, because I know a lot of my former colleagues have also run. I mean, you're talking, you know, Liz West, Carleen Nation, um, a lot of people have run. So, But I, th- I it, isn't there a a problem amongst the perception, and part of this is, I think, part of the problem, the perception of journalists and, and bias is like, okay, well, there you are one night on the news, and you're supposed to be unbiased, and the next night yeah. you're carrying the flag for the liberals or the NDP or the conservatives. Well, I think in Marcy's rule, though, I mean, she sort of morphed because she was, you know, a journalist, but then she was on The Social, and The Social is an opinion-based show, and we know that from from events that have happened over the last few years where they've been in the headlines for certain things they've said. And it was very clear from Bell that it is a opinion based show. So I think they sort of left journalism in that sense. You know what I mean? Like they were, she was in a role where she was sharing her opinion already. That's what I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I think in Marcy's case in particular, you know, she had some latitude on that show that would be different than, you know, reading the six o'clock news, you know, yeah. per se. Uh, well, yeah. let's turn let's turn to uh, the celebrations tonight. What do you have planned? So we are going ahead. Well, I live in York Region, so I have I happen to be somewhat exempt, but we're not I mean, we're not a big group. My um, my family, my, my husband's family is, is coming to me tonight. And uh, we've all been together over the last few weeks. So, you know, it's kind of like our bubble in a sense. Um, there's going to be 15 of us, but there's a lot of kids, there's seven kids. And we're spacing everybody out. Uh, everyone's eating in separate rooms, you know, not the same way we would normally eat at a table. And tomorrow night, my grandparents are insistent, you know, we usually have Rosh Hashanah, 22 people. My grandparents are 102 and 94, and they, it's a very weird time for them because they want to be with family because they don't know how much longer they have in life, and they want to spend Rosh Hashanah with their family. And as much as we don't want to be with them because we don't want to expose them to anything, and our kids are all back in school, we know how important it is for them that we're together. So we've split the family dinners, and it's smaller, so there is actually just 10. And the grand, my grandparents will sit at the very, very far end of the table um, from my kids because my mom will set the table for 20, even though we're half the size. So we'll sit, you know, in a big room, but we'll, my kids will sit at the other end. So, you know, we're trying to make it work. When I see my grandparents now and when we see them tomorrow, we do wear masks in the house because my, you know, my kids are back in school. So we're very careful. And I'm also careful because my parents are, are seniors as well. They're in the age group that, that we worry about it. But you know, it's a, it's a really, like, a, the Jewish holiday is, this Jewish holiday, Rosh Hashanah, is so significant. These are the holiest days of the year. And for my grandparents to think that we wouldn't be together, you know, they went through the Holocaust, and even in concentration camps, somehow they celebrated the holidays. It always looked different, but somehow they did it. And that is their philosophy, that we will continue to celebrate no matter what, however we can do it. So we did Zoom Passovers, but, you know, we're trying to do Rosh Hashanah together. 
It, th- despite despite all the precautions you're taking, and you know whether or not you're within the technical uh, limitations, and I, I will point out that in your region there were 40 cases in the past 24 hours, uh, and yeah. and you're right, York region is not part of Peel, Ottawa, and Toronto, and those gathering restrictions. But you know, keep yeah. in mind what Doug Ford had to say yesterday. You know, he's threatened to come uh, fix the little red wagons of all those people who are breaking the rules. I mean, does that give you pause? You know, we're, like I said, we're, we're very careful. Um, like we, we've always been, even through all of this, we've been very, first of all, most of what we've done has been outside. I mean, we haven't, this would actually be the first time we're inside and it's only because of the weather. I know a lot of my friends are hosting outside lunches. They're switching dinners to lunch so they can be outside. I actually know that, you know, my sister tonight is doing an outdoor dinner. They've rented heaters. Like people are trying to do it outside if they can. So, I mean, we're just, we're trying to be as cautious as possible. Our kids are all older. They're not going anywhere near um, my in-laws, who are the, really the only two people who are at risk tonight because they're the only older people. The rest of us are in our, you know, 40s. So, and you're, I mean, obviously those are the people who are getting it now. So we're aware of that, but we're, we're all very, very careful. And my kids have been very careful at school. I'm actually really impressed. I had a lot of anxiety about sending my kids back as, as did all parents but um my kids school specifically has been phenomenal and the rules and protocols that they've taken have been amazing and so it's you know my kids have been really careful at school while they've been back can, can we just turn our mind to your, your sister your, your sister has rented space heaters how did you find those, those that's the new toilet paper now Yes. Yeah, so that well her husband is a builder and happens to know people in that industry so <laughs> She, uh, she actually had a dinner last night, again, for her outside, for her birthday, very spaced out, only six people, but like really like <laughs> screaming across the backyard. But we used, we used outside heaters and um, they placed them like at every, it was freezing. I mean, it was really cold last night. But we you were got, You got to hook me up, hook, hook me up with the, the space heater rent. You know, that, I mean, that's a moneymaker right now if you're renting space heaters. Well, you know, people are becoming very creative because my brother-in-law was talking last night because, like I said, he's a builder, and he was saying, like, he knows people who have built spaces in their backyards to have outside like, get-togethers over the winter. Um, if you have a little fire in the backyard or if you have something, uh, people are starting to try and get creative to figure out how they're going to see their family. Um, you know, with my grandparents, we're not going to – this will be the only time we see them inside. Like, this, this, a little, this will be it. And then after this, we're going to have to figure out, you know – going to maybe drive up and see the leaves and get out of our car and stand together. I, I, we have to figure out ways to see them outside, but it's going to be, it's going to be a very interesting, difficult time for a lot of families. And, and a lot of people are deciding not to do it tonight. So there are a lot of people who I know who are not having dinner. Uh, they'll do a zoom dinner the same way we did for Passover. And it is what it is. You know, my, my, my nephew is not coming home from Western because look what's going on at Western. So He's staying there and not coming home, and there'll be a lot of kids from university who are not coming home. So it's going to look different, but all of the milestones and holidays have looked different this year, and I think all of us accept that, and we're doing our best. Naomi Parnas, the co-founder of KPW Communications, former journalist and potentially future MP, who knows? <laughs> no, I won't do it, but... I- <laughs> I know so many have been asked, right? I know you and I both know so many of our colleagues who have been asked. I, I've been asked myself. I have been asked by a political party to run. Um, you give your head a shake. I, well, that's what I told them. All right, yeah. Naomi, thank you so much, and uh, all the best this weekend, and best to your family, and especially to your grandparents. Thank you. Thanks, Alan. 
Well, that is it. We are pretty much out of time here on the Alan Carter Radio Program. Uh, Doug Ford is coming up, and of course there will be questions to Doug Ford today as he is with other premiers calling on the federal government for more funding, but there'll be questions for the premier about... I'll bring you a couple of peaches for that great great question. i got a whole basket of them here. But it's getting a bit late in the year for stone fruit. It really it is, but I like a good cobbler. I'm all about... I mean, I know... I know the Premier is all about the cheesecake, but I'm about the cobbler. But I tell you, the Premier can keep the cheesecake, he can keep his peaches, he can keep all of it. If you can just get the testing going in this province, we are waiting on an announcement from the provincial government of some kind of expansion on the test and tracing, because we're going to need that. I mean, we can threaten people all you like with, you know, fixing your little red wagon. I'm going to fix it! What we, I'm gonna we need do. to fix their little red wagon when they when they start doing stuff like this. Yeah, that's right. You and your little red wagon. You can threaten that all you like, but if you can't test and if you can't trace, all the sound bites in the world are not going to help. That's the podcast for today. Don't forget to catch the Alan Carter Show weekdays starting at noon.